0: Malcolm, Ramona, all these wonderful, handsome people and stuff. So it's great. Absolutely great. So, uh, swap day soon, which would be really nice. She's got a job. Praise the Lord. We keep praying. Uh, You know, it's an incredible thing. I I just don't understand churches sometimes Uh, after all these years because. We're a church that actually sees miraculous answers to prayer over and over and over again. We really do. I just heard a man stand up and tell you how he was paralyzed and he couldn't walk and how God healed him. And I think a couple of people said, oh, that was all right. <laughs> it's a, but it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. And over and over again, we see God do incredible things in the life of our church. And so we thank God for that. We can't do it, but the, uh, we have a prayer answering God, which is amazing. stuff. So, you know, last week we uh, saw um, Ned Murphy uh, go to heaven and meet Jesus, which was
1: uh, you know, sad,
0: but he's 90 years of age. And you know, for someone to get home is always a great thing in the eyes of the Lord. And it's never goodbye, it's just see you later. And to see Tammy just uh, so strong in the Lord was a real testimony to faith. You know, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, says the Bible. We have a hope. It's not permanent, it's just temporary and stuff. So, uh, yeah, and all sorts of good things are happening. We've been doing this thing about uh, spiritual warfare, so I'm going to try and continue that series on spiritual warfare. So uh, thank you to the team that helped us uh, come into the presence of the Lord this morning. Really appreciate Sam and everybody holding together. In Steve Bolt's absence, suffering for Jesus on a cruise in Europe, some people have to do it so hard in life, you know. I hope he doesn't get that. There's a botulism or something over there right now, killing people. So, stuff. So, no, it won't. That won't happen. Stuff. So. Um, yeah. So we got a slide up there. It's coming. It's fantastic. So that's good. If, oh, here we go. Ephesians, spiritual warfare series, Prince of Powers and Powers. This is our second week. Although I believe Pastor Dave Humberston did a good job. Filling in on spiritual warfare last week. Thank you, Dave. And so uh, we're going to just try and take this on a little bit further and learn. Now, one of the things that we're going to try and underbuild all this, there is is a few things going on for this series. As much as I'm just wanting to teach the Bible, we actually are trying to put a a fire under the value of prayer. And as we do that, I think we're just going to see more and more good things in God as we pray more corporately and privately as a church so that's part of the deal but the other part of the deal is hopefully we'll get a revelation say revelation Revelation. we will get a revelation that it's part of our job as a believer to take responsibility for the atmosphere okay it's not it's not Jono's job to be responsible for the atmosphere although he did a fantastic job Jono yeah yeah Um, But we have to take responsibility for the atmosphere. The Bible tells us that the prince of darkness actually wants to rule in the atmosphere. That's where he's located. That's where he wants to put a throne is between the heaven of heavens where God abides and between the earth where we abide. He wants to be the blanket in the middle. He wants to be the veil in the middle, that dark blanket so that we can't see. So we have to take responsibility for atmosphere. Say atmosphere. Okay. Now really that begins with just you. Do you know that you bring an atmosphere? Yeah, you know you bring an atmosphere? We we all bring an atmosphere. In the cartoons you used to see, you know, the little black cloud walking around someone, you know, as they walked into the room. That's exactly the way it is in real life. We all bring an atmosphere. And we actually have a personal responsibility to begin with ourselves that the atmosphere that's around us is a God-glorifying manifestation of the power of God upon our lives, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God incarnate in flesh. That's the atmosphere that we should bring. You should walk into the room and the light should go on because you are the light of the world just as Jesus is the light of the world he has sent and commissioned you to be the light of the world is this okay is this is this true we have to take responsibility for the atmosphere on our own lives yeah. If you can't break out of the atmosphere just in your own life, then you're in bondage, you're in darkness, you might be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But you'll never be a threat to the devil and you'll never live in victory unless you can take responsibility for the atmosphere in your own life. So that's, that's a disciplined thing. That's learning what it is to put on Christ and to put off your flesh. Do you know what that is? means, you know, going through that thing, we'll talk about the full armor of God, how you put that on, but it's an action where you actually come to a place where you say, inside of me, if I know Jesus is the God of gods, is the creator of the universe, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, inside me is everything that I need for life and godliness. Inside of me is the source of joy is the source of peace, is the source of peace. Inside of me is the ability to change any circumstance in the name of Jesus. Inside of me, because the Bible says, greater is he that is within than he that's in the world. So that means me and you, isn't it? If we believe that, then when you walk into the room, there should be a change in the atmosphere. But if you don't have the change in you, it will never happen outside of you. For there to be a change in your world, there must first be a change in your inner world. Your outer world will never change until your inner world comes into alignment with the revelation and teaching of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not in the sermon. This is just for free. Got to change you. Then when we gather together, say together... When we gather together and we actually have to then take responsibility for the corporate atmosphere in the church. Okay? This is what we're doing here this morning. That there is a certain atmosphere and what we are attempting to do is corporately is to bring an anointing that is so contagious that literally anybody just walking up the street knows nothing about God, nothing at all can walk in. And all of a sudden start to say, I'm feeling guilty about my sin. I need an answer. Or my body that's now falling apart with cancer. I believe there's, there's, there's something in this place that's going to heal me. That There's going to be an incredible change because of the corporate anointing. And that's a real struggle for us because we are in a battle. We're in a fight and stuff. So, you know, when, when we ask to praise the Lord, what we're meant to do is to Praise the Lord. When we ask to raise our hands, we are meant to raise our hands. You know, when uh, the preacher asks for an amen, we're meant to say amen. amen. And several women, of course, but amen, yes. And stuff. So. When we are meant then... So, you know, that, that's something that we have to do corporately. Now, it may well be that in any congregation anywhere in the world that you will get a percentage of people that are not engaged. I mean, that's just the nature of of humanity, the nature of people on the journey. So what you need, there's a tipping point somewhere. There's a tipping point where it's now corporately happening and it's genuine, it's authentic, it's spirit-led and things are happening. You know, you've seen some of those Reinhardt Bonkey videos, I almost brought it today, you know, where you he know, just says, say hallelujah and this ripple, a ripple takes place across the crowd and everybody falls over. I mean, you, you could stand up, but you'd feel like a bit of a mug, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, it's that corporate anointing. And so what we actually have to do is get better than that. So the Bible teaches us that when you come to worship God, that we begin in our flesh, we begin in the flesh realm. So we enter His courts with thanksgiving. So you're meant to come in and be thankful. And that means that you start to do very physical things. Like, you do clap your hands. Okay, you clap your hands. The idea is that we all clap our hands. Now, if you're like me, that's a real challenge because I have no sense of rhythm at all. I have no sense of rhythm. (laughs) But when we're meant to lift our hands, then we're all meant to lift our hands. Now, I know for some of you, that's some of the hardest things that you'll ever have to do and you'll stick your hands in your pocket all the rest. But if you love God, And if you want to see God change, something happens when you lift your hands. When Moses lifted his hands, guess what happened to the battle? Guess what happened in spiritual warfare? The moment his hands went up, the moment he lifted, it's a physical sign of an inward reality. It's a physical demonstration that I am lifting up God. I'm lifting up His name. I'm lifting up His power and His purpose. It's a physical sign of an inward reality. But when you lift up your hands, you're doing more than showing people your armpits. You are actually involved in spiritual warfare. It matters. And we're meant to do it together. When I say, for example, that God wants to come to this meeting right now and he, you, he want, uh, I would like you to receive something. We're singing that song, Unfailing Love. There was a moment there. And there was just a little touch of the anointing happening where if you were attuned to what God was saying, you could have actually just put out your hands and he would have bathed you with his love. It was there. It was right there. But if you're doing this, you're not going to get it, are you? You're just not going to get it. So the Bible teaches us that we should begin physically and then we should move then into what you'd call the soul realm or the realm of feelings and emotions. And most Pentecostals, sadly, think that's where you stop. They actually confuse the anointing with feelings. Who likes good feelings? We all like good feelings. But feelings is not the same as anointing. Sometimes you can feel incredibly bad and then the power of God can still hit you and set you free. It's got nothing to do with feelings, but we get into the feeling zone and that's when your heart starts to stir and you start to feel, you know, some love towards God or, you know, you start to feel some peace or whatever. That's a good place to be, but some of us, that's in the lid on where we're at. We're actually trapped by the soul realm of what's in the atmosphere here because the next realm is the spirit. And it's as you move into the spirit then things begin to go crackle-lackle-lackle-do. Things start to break loose and stuff. And so we, we need to grow up as a church band because the worship team isn't the people on the stage. It's the people down here. It's us. We are the worship team. And so, you know, we often start with the fleshly songs. Now, I don't mean fleshly in the sense that they're evil, but songs that are much more movement-orientated, you know, blow the cobwebs off get you talking, get you sh- singing, stuff like that. Then we move more into the softer songs of the heart and the feelings. Then we want to go into the spirit realm. But what we tend to do over the service is that we have less participation as we go. Less people are connected as we go. And if we have some time of singing in the spirit or pressing into the spiritual worship, uh, we're good for about 30 seconds. Good for about 30 seconds and we've got a microwave timer on everything. 30 seconds. Real breakthrough means breaking through. It's getting into that zone where it doesn't matter what you feel, what's happening in your body, but you say, God, I'm now going to sing the high praises of God. And as you do that, guess what? You will get victory, and victory will happen around you, and we'll change the atmosphere. Because first we've got to take control of the atmosphere around us, around Mike Keating. I've got to take responsibility for the atmosphere there, take responsibility for the atmosphere in my home. Amen. Yeah. You know, I have to do that, that's my job. I've got to take responsibility for the atmosphere in my church. Because when we do that together as the church, we begin to then affect the atmosphere in the whole region. And that's when revival starts to happen, when you start to push back on those sorts of things. So all that's for free. And now I'm going to go really fast. No, I'm not. Next one. Just a quick recap on where we're going. When we come to spiritual warfare, we just want to make it quite clear that people often get this wrong on both sides. Some overly obsess about it and, you know, they think the devil's this little red man running around in his suit with his pitchfork or that, you know, the other extreme is that they're demon obsessed. Everything's a demon. Chocolate demons. We, we had a guy in college who was told he had a chocolate demon and they tried to cast the chocolate demon out of him. It's crazy and it's wacky but stuff happens. I think I've got a problem because I like chocolate. So there you go. Next one. What we're trying to do is also say to you is that we want to do a biblical... Uh, study it some in depth over this area of teaching because most of the stuff that you will hear and buy on spiritual warfare is actually not helpful. A lot of stuff you can buy, read on this area is nothing. So we're just going to try and teach you what's the overall context of Scripture. So we've taught you... That, you know, to understand the word in a sentence, you need to understand the sentence. To understand the sentence, you need to understand the paragraph. To understand the paragraph, you need to understand the chapter. To understand the chapter, you need to understand the book. To understand the book, you need to understand the Bible. You've got to line it all up in that way. And we then looked at Watchman Nee's. Thanks, guys. He had a nice little analysis of the book of Ephesians. So rather than pulling that little passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, the full armor of... Rather than pulling it out of context and making it do all sorts of things that Paul never intended it to do, what we're saying is, what does it mean in context? And watch my just points out that Christianity begins by being seated in Christ. It's not what we've got to do, it's what Jesus has done. That we are seated with Him. That if we'll locate ourselves in Jesus, say in Jesus... If you're in Mike, you're in trouble. But if you're in Jesus, all things are possible. So we are asked by God to locate Mike Keating. He's dead by faith. The old Mike is dead. Hallelujah. And long lives the new Mike. By faith, I now live in the son of God who loved me and died for me. And I put to death daily the body. The old Mike is dead. The depressive, bipolar, uh, immoral, drunken, alcoholic, nasty little boy is dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there's a new Mike now who's being renewed according to the image of Jesus. I'm being made like Jesus. You should be able to look at me and say he's more like Jesus than what he was 20 years ago. And by the grace of God, I probably do, except for the fact I used to have nice long blonde hair and the hair's gone. So, so that was about the only backward step and stuff. So we're meant to be in Jesus, amen? amen? Unless you've located yourself in Jesus, you know your position, you know your authority, then spiritual warfare actually becomes dangerous and stupid. And then as we find ourselves in Jesus, then we can walk worthy in our relationships and our engagement with the world. But you do that out of a sense of, I know who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm a prince. A prince doesn't go down and feed with pigs. A prince does other things than what pigs do. You understand what I'm saying? If you know who you are, it will define what you do. But if you don't know who you are, you'll do anything that the world will pull you into. So you walk worthy of these things. And it's a case of, you know, you believe and you receive. You believe and you receive. You walk in your faith. And then he talks about standing as being the posture for spiritual warfare and that there are certain things that we need to do. But primarily, the posture for spiritual warfare is to stand. It's to stand. So that's good. Next one, thank you. So we are to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty strength. Finally. Say finally. Finally. What does it mean when a pastor says finally? Usually not much. <laughs> but on this occasion, Paul's saying all this wonderful stuff that the eyes of your understanding might be open, that you would know how mighty his strength is, how mega it is, how hyperballon, how, how limitless it is. He's telling you all these wonderful things. And he says, finally, once you know all that stuff, once you're doing all that stuff, then you can stand. But if you don't do that first, you're messing yourselves up. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about to be angry, but don't let the anger go down on your wrath. Unless you give the devil a foothold or an opportunity to come and attack you. You know, we have incredible defences and strength to beat the enemy if we actually are prepared and do the right thing. But if you don't do the right thing, he so says, get rid of all bitterness and anger and lying and all these sorts of things. And, you know, how many people, you know, they want to be an intercessor or in the upper room praying on different things, and yet they're full of anger and bitterness and all sorts of attitudes that actually make them totally vulnerable to the enemy getting in and destroying their lives. I'm just telling you the truth here. It's in the Bible this bit, okay? It's incredibly important that we're functioning not out of perfection but out of wholeness and that we have done our bit. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. This is not something that we do in in terms of self-effort, but we receive it from God. It's God coming along and he says, I have the power for you. Will you receive the power? Will you take my power into your body, into your being today? Friends, today you can go home with unlimited power from God. He has all power. He wants to give it to you. He wants to give you his mighty strength. And it's for you. He just wants you to know it's there for you. But you've got to want it and take it. Be strong in his power. Put it on. Finally, this is what you do to have victory. Who wants victory? Well, these are the sorts of things that we do. Be strong, Lord. Next slide. Thank you. So here's Mike Keating's really basic summary of what Paul's trying to say to us in Ephesians, he's really saying this: We need God's power because we will say, "Will we will face a variety of well-planned attacks from a supernatural enemy." Is that about as simple as I can make it? But it's what he's saying: You need to be prepared because you will be attacked. And it's not going to be a sloppy attack. It's not going to be careless. It's going to be well-planned. It's strategically armed, aimed towards us to stop us. And uh, interestingly, he says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but the text actually says blood and flesh. Paul overturns what would be normally expected order of these two words. Who's heard the expression flesh and blood? Flesh and blood. But he says, we don't fight against blood and flesh. He's really emphasising that this is a supernatural battle. It's not about fighting people. Most of the trouble that comes our way usually comes on two legs. One way or another. But it's not the two legs that's the problem. It's the powers behind them that are animating. And we've just got to get a revelation on that. Okay? Uh, next one. Thank you. Okay, so to get victory, Paul says what we need to do is to stand. And what happens in our world today is most people don't stand when they get into a problem. This is in marriage, sadly, marriage, family, business, relationships, church life, whatever. We get that initial phase where we enroll into whatever the, the commitment area is, whether that's into a marriage whatever it might be. We enroll, we get there, we're in there, we start a new church or whatever. Then we are engaged by the enemy. A challenge happens. Yeah? Challenges come, a conflict develops. And then what most people do today, even when it's a relationship, a marriage, there's kids involved, a church, they're in leadership, whatever, what most people do when they are attacked by the enemy, what do they do? They run away, which, if you're in the na- if you're in the army, is actually called desertion. It's actually considered to be the worst crime a soldier can commit to desert his post. That is normally summary execution, and most most regimes around the world and stuff, you, to run away. And yet that's what most people do. They run away from their problems. They run away from their churches. They run away from leadership. They run away from, their, from marriages and whatever. They run. And yet the Bible says what they're meant to do is not run but to stand. Stand and face it. And if you do stand, guess what happens? You will win if you stand. And all the people been married more than five years said, <laughs> you got to stand, don't you? The temptations to run, we understand that. We understand that. We're all human. We want to run and stuff. But if we will stand, we win. And then what happens in that? God grows us, enlarges us, and we get to a better place. We go to a better level as we learn to stand. Um, next slide. Thank you. Uh, we're going to get this. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be self-controlled. And alert, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the text says in Ephesians chapter 6 about fighting the devil, putting on the full armor of God. He says, stand, 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 stand. He says it four times, stand, stand. I think he's trying to say something. I don't know about you, but I think I'm getting the message. He wants us to stand. He wants us to stand strong. When the enemy comes and he roars, he wants us to stand. Now, the um, people that study lions, there's probably a name for them, lion watchers we'll call them, they will tell you that the only time a lion will roar is if they're in the mating season or they're fighting. But when it comes to hunting prey, most lions don't roar. They creep. Have You ever seen? You know, I mean, I reckon cats are just little lions myself. But you know, they'll you know, we, we have a, a cat that was such a good killer. We'd put bells on it and all these sorts of things and little sonic devices, and just even got better at it. You know, it was stealth cat stuff. You know, so the, the cat doesn't go up to the bird and go, meow meow because the bird flies away, doesn't it? Stuff. So it's quiet. So the only time a lion roars when it's after prey is when it's too sick. Too tired, too old, and too feeble to actually do anything about it. Because what's he trying to do? He's trying to scare the little antelope to run off into the jaws of a lion. wants to separate you from the crowd, the herd and stuff. Friends, when we hang together, when we stand together, you are undefeatable. The church is undefeatable, but the roar of the lion is leave, leave, leave. Runaway, and how many do you know over the years that have actually done the runaway business? And you know what happens? The lion gets them. The lion gets them. Sadly, very few people ever come forward. I've just got a little video here. I'll show it to you a long time, but I like this because it's about the wildebeest. Normally, wildebeests and lions lose. Who loses between a wildebeest and a lion? Who loses? Okay. Not this one. Even a well fed
1: one. The thing about the marsh is that it attracts animals from miles around for a drink, and sometimes the lions just can't resist the temptation. A wildebeest stumbling across the boggy
0: ground is enough McDonald's. to get them firing on all cylinders. Angus Burger.
1: Both animals are having difficulty with their footing, an advantage to the wildebeest.
0: All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. This wildebeest wins. And the reason he wins is because what what does he do? He stands. If he ran away, what does he do? He actually then exposes his flanks to the lion. But the moment he stands and faces the lion, you know what the lion does? Runs away. Doesn't like the pointy end. And stuff. Look, even in nature, there are these things that shows us that if you will face your problem, whether it be pornography, whether it be a broken relationship, whether it be hurt, pain, finance, if you'll face your problem in the name of Jesus and put on His mighty strength and you are strong in Him, you will win the victory. It's a good fight. You will win. Bless you. Next, next one. Um, oh yeah. Now, the word wrestling here is the word parlay, which literally means to vibrate. It's that thing where, you know, if you've ever did an arm wrestling match with someone and the lactic acid has built up so much now that the arm almost begins to vibrate. Have you ever been in that zone? I used to arm wrestle with my wife, but uh, I used to... No, 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 no. I had to stop because she's stronger than me. She was, she's tough, really strong. So, so my hand get to that stage. So what that means is this wrestling match is pretty intense. It's face-to-face. In the Roman army tradition, they would teach you everything in terms of use of the shield, use of the spear, the javelin, the net and stuff, but that also would teach every Roman soldier how to wrestle because some of the battle is so much face-to-face. It's now the pressing of, you know, flesh upon flesh. This is face-to-face mortal combat and it's for real. In uh, the book of um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the message version, I think, puts it just so brilliantly. Listen to this. Are you listening? Yeah. You're listening to me? now? Okay. This is no afternoon athletic context contest that you'll walk away from and forget in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life and death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. It's a battle, isn't it? And it's serious. Okay, next one. Angels and demons, I've clipped this art, I've clipped this artwork a little bit because the truth is that there are two-thirds more angels, hallelujah, than these fellas over here, the demon side of it. So, you know, that's a good thing, isn't it? So, but what we understand is you look at the angels, they have hierarchies and stuff in the same way that there are hierarchies in the kingdom of God. You know, there are archangel. There's only one archangel, by the way. People say there are lots of archangels. And just to let you know, his name's Michael. Uh, the devil is an archangel, so there's these hierarchies, and Paul relates to these a little bit in Ephesians. So, next slide, thank you. So you get this thing where the devil. Now, the devil is limited. If anybody you know says the devil did this to me and the devil did that to me, hey, I want to tell you there's six point five billion people on the place of the, on the planet Earth. He doesn't have that much time. He really does not have that much time. But he does have helpers. And so he has ark rulers, which tend to rule over whole areas, geographical areas. If you are a traveler, you'll know the truth of what I'm saying in that you can literally walk from one country across the border into another country and spiritually you know that something's different. You, know, you can literally walk into another area. Then there's authorities, which tend to be a little bit more geographical. Then powers of darkness. I wonder if I could just get uh, our um, resident train driver just to go up there and turn the lights down for us. David, thank you. Powers of darkness. I can't see you anymore. Oh, my lights. What happens when things are dark? You can't see things, can you? You just can't see. Don't know really what's happening, do you? Can't locate what's important. There are powers of darkness that we face. Our job is to turn on the light. So thank you, David turn on the light for revelation. And then there are evil forces, spiritual forces. So down at this level, it's probably more just the individual unclean spirits. They're called familiar spirits. The the two main derivations for spirits, names for them is familiar spirits and unclean spirits. Familiar spirits, people have a familiar spirit, they're used to this thing and they're so used to it that they'll often work to actually keep it around them. You know, the moment you try to actually get them out, you know, do do a cleansing, move them out of a house whatever, they'll go right back to the same behavior because they're familiar with it. It's like I am so used to there being strife in my home that the moment there's no strife in my home, I'm going to create strife. It's a familiar spirit. I, my life only works if that sort of the feelings around me, that sort of atmosphere is around me. The other main uh, name for a demon is an unclean demon and uh, a filthy demon. And so you find people involved in very demonic behaviour. You'll find their their uh, sexuality, their lifestyle. You know they won't keep themselves even physically clean. They won't shave. They won't wash and stuff. You visit their home, you'll find that it's like a rubbish tip and stuff. There is a relationship there. Now, that those guys down there tend to be relating at our appetite level, at our sense level. They attack us at our touch, sight, sound, feed, what we eat, and those sorts of things. The next level up tends to start to affect what we see, what we see. When you walk through Armadale Moor, what do you see? Do you see the latest bargain at Cotton On? Do you see... Lost souls? Do you see the drug addicts? Do you see the people that are being raped and pillaged by demons? What do you see? So there are these principalities. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, we have Daniel praying for 21 days for an answer and then Gabriel turns up and says, the first I heard of your reply, I came straight away, but the prince of Persia prevented me from coming for 21 days. Now a couple of key points here. Daniel never was aware that there was a blockage in the spiritual realm. That's an important point. Because sometimes in spiritual warfare, what people do is they want to say, well, it's against this spirit and against that spirit. And all Sometimes even the best men of God like Daniel, all we do is pray and stand. We stand and pray and the answer cometh. <laughs> the answer cometh. The answer comes. And I don't know what would happen if we would pray 21 days as a church constantly and passionately together and corporately, but maybe the answer just might come. But what we tend to do is we pray for 10 minutes. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. Oh, that didn't work. And then the angel turns up 21 days later and says, I'm here. Oh, he's gone home. All right, <laughs> see you later. That's what tends to happen. So Prince Bells and Path. What's the prince over Armadale? You know, that's an interesting thing. Next slide. Um... Uh, it's something this church in this area has experienced an incredible amount of a challenge against churches over the years. Incredible. Even this church, only 12 months ago, I was accused of actually stealing $50,000 from the church. You know, I was accused of being involved in very bad practices. I was incompetent, that the church was bankrupt and we we're going to go insolvent, and that someone actually wrote an anonymous letter to our charity to remove to dob us in, to jeopardise you know, $3 million contract. You know, It was very evil. It was very malicious. And it was never true. It was never true. We actually had to go and spend money on getting an external consultant in because the truth is I can't stand up and say, just believe me, You know, that's, that's, probably, that's not fair. So we had to go to an external voice. They came in. They investigated everything, interviewed everybody and all that sort of stuff and said that it's not true. And yet... Good people love God still believe that to be the truth. I'm asking you, is that a spiritual thing? It's not a person. It's not an individual thing, is it? That's spiritual. When we chose to uh, take a step of faith some years ago to actually uh, move from our old building that was 40 years old and fall into pieces, pieces in Forest Road, we needed a situation where we could sell five pieces of property in order to buy another building. And just as we we're about to have the special general meeting to present it to the church, the fax machine goes. Zzz, 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 zzz. Some people can remember fax machines, and a member in our church who was a very successful businessman said that he was taking out a district court injunction to prevent the church from selling the properties. He'd spent a significant amount of his own money to prevent this from happening. So I rang the guy up. Oh, how, how are you doing? So, you know, stuff. Yeah, it's fine. So can you just come and have a cup of coffee because I don't understand what's happening. I play dumb really well. So he came in and he says, look, I've heard that you're doing this, this and this, that you are selling all the church property without approval of the board and all this sort of stuff. And I said to the man, if that's true, then you are totally justified in the action you're taking, aren't you? If that was true. But if it's not true, then... It'd have to be, if it was actually approved by the board and all the rest, he says, Yeah, that'd be fine. So went over, got out the minute books, opened up the minute pages, showed him the minute that was passed, and he says, Oh, oh okay, suppose it's all right then. So here's a, an intelligent man who suddenly grabbed hold of something which is wrong, and it's a lie, and then have actually then ran with it, where normally you would say, oh, I'd check it up, wouldn't you? You know, just recently we've had an incident in the church where. Uh, a family's come in and an incident took place with two kids and an allegation's been made about sex abuse towards one child and another child. It's just not right. It hasn't happened. It's been fully investigated. There's been witnesses. There's been reports written up, all that sort of stuff. And yet, before we know it, someone will leave our church and say we, we don't deal with stuff and that there's that stuff happened at the church. Somewhere on the way, we actually have to wake up that this is Warfare that this is strategic level warfare. And I could tell you just not, I'm telling our stories here because I could tell you stories about other churches in the area and pastors and things like that, but that, that's, I don't have permission to do that. I'm doing it here. And so I don't know what the, the enemy is over Armadale, but I know churches have been open and shut and closed and splits and divisions have gone on over and over and over and over again. And I think, look, I'm just going to do something I'm just going to stand. I am just going to stand believing that there is an angel on the way who's going to bring an answer and there's going to be breakthrough to our area. But it would be really nice if people could actually stand alongside and actually say, hey, we actually understand that what we're dealing with here is actually warfare. You know, I could tell you stuff. I could really tell you stuff. And you say, that's not possible, Pastor Mike. He says, it is possible because it's warfare. So we do not wrestle against blood and flesh. It's not about people. When we wanted to buy this building originally, there was a concern that we may not have enough parking. And so we actually bought the block of land to the back back adjacent to us initially with the idea because we did not own Southside Care. So we didn't have those 18 bays there. So we had to buy some other land. So we bought some land there. And Of course, we needed some access between that block to our block. So we were going to build a little stairwell on that corner there so you could walk up here and come to church if you parked over there. It's a true story. And so um, what we needed to do was then to get uh, permission by the owners of the property behind us, there is a sewerismant of about this distance of which you're not allowed to build anything on. So all we're asking is permission that we could put a gate where there is the sewer So it's, it's not like they're losing any ground or anything at all. We just need their permission. And so there were two unsaved people that were owners, because there were three owners at the time. The two unsaved people said, Yeah, we don't have a problem. Bless you. Let the church go for it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> then we had someone else who actually was a born-again, spirit-filled believer who used to attend our church, but for some reason... He was told that one of the units that uh, uh, we now own was actually owned by no, was another it was actually owned, run by another charity altogether, but they thought we owned it. And for some reason he had a fight with them, so he said no. So this whole project almost collapsed on one believer on a lie saying no. One day I should just tell you the whole story of how we got here. Because you, be- you will not believe the spiritual warfare that we've been through to be here today. You won't believe it. He says, Mike, you're making this up. I'm not making it up. <laughs> this stuff happened. And so I don't know what it is in the area. But whatever it is, it's critical. It's nasty. There's a nasty thing to it. It attacks people. It actually attacks people at their point of weakness. It attacks the flesh. And so it will find the weakness in Mike or the weakness in Carol and something. And it's a spirit that's voracious and will attack weaknesses. Friends, we are all weak. We are all sinners. We all have our faults and we're covered by the grace of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore sin or anything like that. That never happens in this place at all. But what it does mean, we've got to get a bit smarter than having to have conversations in the car park that's driven by spiritual warfare rather than by understanding that we're to take control in the name of Jesus of the atmosphere and that this place shall be a place of praise, that this place will be a place of victory, that we will lift up the name of Jesus, not the problems of the world, not the problems of the flesh, not the problems of the church. We're not going to lift that up. We're going to lift up Jesus. Let Him be honoured. Let Him be glorified. And as we do that, we are going to see God move in incredible ways. Can I hear one amen? Hallelujah. There's power in that. And I wasn't going to say half of that. All right. I'm going to go. Let's just go to this uh, video, thanks. Just in case you think I'm making up, this is what's happened in some other places in the world. It
1: was well known as the drug capital of the world. And along with that, all the violence and corruption, sin of every kind you can imagine. The violence was getting worse. The church was really feeling the pressure of what was going on.
0: Kiambu was a town which had very bad history. In fact, it had the worst history in our country. Murder in terms of rape, violence, it was well known. This town was not growing. The churches were not growing. Because of the bad reputation of the town, nobody wanted to come.
2: This town was in serious trouble. Lots of Satanism, uh, witchcraft, we had the Moonies in the Valley, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, TM, Transcendental Meditation Facilities, the Church of Scientology. We discovered that we were uh, methamphetamine manufacturing capital of the West Coast.
0: There was a spirit of competition that reigned and ruled within not just the churches, but at the head of those churches within the pastors.
1: Was an extremely poor
0: village.
2: This was a community in total poverty and alcohol
0: addiction. Violence, ignorance, witchcraft, the occult, idol
1: worshiping. In 95, we had our first all night prayer meeting. Diciendo, Cristo vive!
0: Did you feel the mountains tremble?
1: Did and they prayed hear? against principalities and powers. They prayed for unity. They believed in God to see him move in the churches. After these major prayer events, united prayer events, were going on, that's when we started seeing the results. And 10 days later, the first drug lord fell, and God just came from the city.
2: It has led to an absolute transformation to this city. Corruption has been reduced dramatically. The, the cocaine drug cartels have been shattered in this city. There are about 60,000 people, and they've come here to spend the entire night praying that God would continue the marvelous work he has been doing in this city for 36 consecutive months. This is something that pastors and intercessors in the United States, in Europe, all over the world need to witness. This is what God is doing in our day. Thank you, Jesus.
0: We prayed, we fasted, the Lord showed us a spirit of witchcraft resting over the place. The spiritual power over the town had been broken.
2: Everything changed. There was explosive church growth. The crime rate plunged. To almost zero today. Every single bar in Kiambu closed. Hallelujah. All but one of those bars are churches today. Do you feel the darkness tremble when all the saints join in? And we began to pray, and we sensed that the Lord was telling
0: us that we would be allowed to break the ruling spirit over the region. I'm not just going to be held accountable for how I treated my church. I'm going to be held accountable by God for how did I pastor my city. And now the atmosphere in our city has
2: completely turned. So we've seen a dramatic reduction in the uh, occult activity as well as an increase in attendance in church activity. In the last 10 years, we've seen a mighty move of God. There's been a real turnaround. Transformation is taking place. It is not the same community it was in the past. Eighty-five percent of the population of Longa are now born-again evangelical Christians. Hallelujah. You've never seen so many churches in your life. Thank All you. the streets are named after biblical places.
0: The whole city has been transformed. It is a beautiful spectacle to go and see the, the, the effect of the gospel, because you, you actually can see it. And that's what we want for our communities, for our cities and for our nations. The weapons of our warfare are not natural. How do we fight drug addiction in Armidale? Some of us know, some of us could score drugs in less than five minutes. We know exactly where to go. How do we fight breakdown of family? How do we really help these kids who come to church on Sunday hungry and need breakfast before we tell them about Jesus? How do we see the Aboriginal kids in our community who, you know, in the natural have got no future? How do we do that? It's about spiritual warfare. And that doesn't mean we don't stop giving out breakfast and we don't do that sort of stuff. But if we are really serious about breakthrough, we've got to wise up about the devil's schemes. The longer he can get us fighting each other and upset over different things, rather than lifting up his name, lifting up his glory, the more we can do that, the more our community will change. So will you stand with me? Will you pray? You got a good song there for us, John? What you going to do for us? Solid rock. Let's do solid rock. Let's just pray. Father